year or two ago, uh, my friend Naomi Alderman, novelist, she um, told me the story about this rabbi, Don Marco Raphael, who came to England in 1531 to help with Henry VIII's divorce. And at the time, of course, there were no Jews officially in England. Um, they were all expelled in 1290. So, um, although, you know, obviously there were secret Jews, but he was officially the only Jew in England. And, um, and even he sort of claimed he converted. But he was here as a rabbi, he was studying Talmud, he was looking at the um, justifications for marrying your brother's widow or not marrying your brother's widow, because this is how Henry VIII was going to try and get out of his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. Um, so, um, so he's just quite an interesting character, and I just wonder what it might be like to be the only Jew in England, in a country that was deeply anti-Semitic, even though there were no Jews here. Yes, and that probably made it worse. I mean, there were at the blood exhibition at the Jewish Museum. There were horrific images of what um, Renaissance painters thought Jews would be like, e even at the circumcision of Jesus, which I thought was a perfectly innocent thing. No, no, cutting off a, um, a part of our Lord with these awful Jews with big knives looking on. So that's clearly what they thought of us, isn't it? And then there's the blood libel. So um, yes, blood libel was still huge in 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 England as well as. All sorts of stories of Jewish Jewish um, people had a particular stench. Uh, Jewish men menstruated. Um, what else? I found all these stories. I mean, it's quite it's it's and the, the Jews had tales. I mean, it's all the same sort of stuff that you get through history. This very sort of visceral sort of hatred and, and sort of making the Jews a sort of scapegoat and bogeyman. But the fact is, though, most people have never knowingly met a Jew who thought all these things. So your your character, how old? Is he for a start? Yeah. Um, he uh, well, we've had I've had to guess a little bit. Um, so um, he's uh, I think um, we don't know exactly how old he was. Um, in fact, thirty we decided, but I mean, it's very little is known about him. I've really sort of scoured the archives for what I could find, um, and uh, you know, we reckon he was around that that age, which you know, which and he came from Venice. Um, and uh, so he's sort of um, 15 years, he arrives in England 15 years after the um, Venice ghetto had been sort of set up and all the Jews had been forced into it. So he remember that, which well, is interesting, an interesting time. Well, it is interesting, and of course you, you've hit an interesting time, haven't you? you you're, I'm sure you know that we're, um, it, it, this has been the last year, the, the, the big anniversary. I mean, just last, last March was the... Um, 500th anniversary of that establishment of the ghetto in, in 1516. Yes. So, uh, although, you know, I was there covering that, and it yes. seems that, the, the, you know, in a way, it wasn't that bad an outcome for the Jews. So, I mean, it sounds horrific, but it, they were mm. probably better off there acknowledged than being thought of in this way because nobody could see one in Britain, and yet he chose, he did accept the invitation. So in your play, why does he accept the invitation from this, this monarch of another country? I think one of the interesting things about Tom Marco Raphael is that he was also a spy. He invented his own recipe for invisible ink. Hmm. Um, so he had other going concerns apart from being a rabbi, and I wonder whether there was something about the access to power um, I wonder whether he thought he might sell some secrets. Um, he also traded. Uh, we know he traded in wine and in woad. I mean, he was mm. quite an interesting character. Um, and I just felt that maybe there was something about 
it was just too delicious a, a, an invitation to turn down to come and help the King of England try to get a divorce by mustering arguments from the Talmud against the Pope. I mean, it's sort of irresistible to a certain kind of character, I think. Ah, so then you you then go into painting that character. I mean, I'm already fascinated, and you promise music intrigue and, I think, a fair bit of sex by the sound of it. I mean, he's, he's obviously having some sort of liaison, perhaps. So have you rather fallen in love with him, and are we going to fall in love with him? <laughs> um, yeah, I hope so. I just found him quite intriguing and quite a sort of, a bit of a chancer, a bit of a wheel dealer, and I was interested by that. And it also seemed to me to, um, I mean, I am very ignorant about um, the Talmud, but, but what I do know is that it seems to be a lot more uh, flexible and vivid and legal kind of document than you sort of imagine, you know, in terms of establishing law through arguments and precedent and rabbis sitting around arguing about obscure bits of law that no one really knows what, what, is, what it's meant by and coming to conclusions. I found it quite you know, exhilarating, really, the idea of that, and a certain kind of mind might be attracted to that. Mm. So t tell me a bit then about what we actually see and hear in your play. I, mean, it, it's, I think it's rather beautiful that you've chosen to give it, I presume will be its first airing, but by students, drama students. So tell me about the drama students and how, how many people are there in the play? Um, I think it's a cast of 15. Wow. Um, it, was, it was commissioned by East 15 Drama School, um, Matthew Lloyd, who directed my last play, um, asked, he, he asked me to write something for East 15 for him to direct there. And he's such a wonderful director. He I is. Yeah. Indeed, uh, wanted to. And uh, so um, I had had this idea for a while. I hadn't really, you know, had somewhere to put it. Um, and uh, he was immediately into the idea. So, and the great thing about writing for drama school is you can write for a large cast. Yep. Because, <laughs> It, it, my last play had two people in it, as you know. Mm. Um, so it's nice to actually be able to have sort of a sense of the movement of history, lots of people on and off, lots of stories, um, and the way that you know someone can take an action that sort of ricochets and affects other people that they may not have realised it would, you know, it would necessarily do. Um, which I thought was very sort of germane to the sort of bustling Tudor court. Um, so, so that's why East 15, and I know what I mean. It's a wonderful drama school. I really love that ethos. I've wanted to work with them for a long time. Um, you probably know they were set up, um, uh, inspired by and, and by Joan Littlewood's work. Yes, and she's a theatre heroine of mine. And uh, they do a lot of work on living history and sort of um, really engaging with what's going on in the world. Um, they're very politically aware, so it just felt like a good bit for the play. Yes, you just mentioned they're politically aware. and we, we, I mentioned Brexit at the beginning because you have mentioned it when, when you're talking about the play. But it's got that, and that's and it's such a well-worn phrase, isn't it? Contemporary resonance, but it has, hasn't it? Well, yes, I mean, Henry VIII, as we know, was, you know eventually breaks with Rome and, you know, decides to go it alone um, without Europe. And uh, that's exactly what we're sort of witnessing now. And there was a lot of sort of um, hubris around it and a lot of othering, you know, suggest, it sort of came with his, his breaking with Rome to me, reading, you know, and, and having talked to a particularly a wonderful historian called Miranda Kaufman, whose book on Black Tudors is coming out this autumn, she was really helpful and um, talking to a few other people that sort of made me think, or my, my feeling is 
that his Brexit, if you like, um, like this Brexit, came with a lot of suddenly calling people strangers, suddenly making people the other, a lot of rising racism and anti-Semitism. And I thought that was interesting. Yes, you do particularly talk about that again when you're when you're writing about the play. You talk about what what it feels like to be on the wrong end of anti-Semitism, be- yeah. and, and that's something we're all worrying about now. Um, you know, more security outside synagogues, that sort of thing. There is a, a feeling of tension, isn't there? So you're picking up on that as well. Well, I was just interested in writing about anti-Semitism in England, in Britain, I suppose now. Um, but uh, and just wondering, you know, how much the history has affected where we are now. I mean, you know, we were, I think, the first country to expel Jews. The expulsion of 1290 was, you know, was really total. And I just, I, I'm interested in how that sort of trickles down to anti-Semitism now. Oh, gosh, that's such a chilling thought. But you're you're right. I mean, there've been plays before. There's been a um, publicity before for the, the the blood libels that appear to have possibly started in this country in in Norwich and Lincoln, isn't it? Um, and there, it, it's it's unbelievable that people could you, you would have thought accuse Jews of uh, killing killing boys and using their blood to make matzah, which is what the blood libel is, as we should mm. say. But but the fact that it, it's sort of alive and well and probably living online is absolutely terrifying, which, again, I think that's you're picking up on that, aren't you? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've encountered um, very, in a very minor way um, uh, anti-Semitism online and, and in person, um, uh, as I know lots of people have. And, um, you know, racism as well seems to be on the rise. Um there seems to be a general sense of othering. Mm. Oh. Let's let's go back to the sort of more positive side of it. I, I, tell me, just to, to finish yeah. off with a little bit more about the characters, because you, you say there are 15 of them, so I expect that means a lot <laughs> they're, they're probably musically talented as well, and I bet there's the odd um, wonderful Tudor dance in there somewhere, I'm hoping so. Oh, um, well, I went to see a run-through yesterday. Yes, tell me. Musical dancing. Um, they, um, they are really a, a very talented um, cast. Um, what I was intrigued by was I discovered the research of this scholar, Roger Pryor, a Shakespeare scholar, and he believed that, that, uh, that a group of musicians very close to Henry VIII at the court may well have been secret Jews, possibly escapees from the Spanish Inquisition or from Italy, maybe escape other places in Europe where it was difficult for them to be Jewish or to live openly as Jews. And uh, I just, I was fascinated by the idea of these Jews really at the heart of the Tudor court. You know, they would have been in, in on some of the major scenes of Tudor history. You know, they would have been mm. in the king's chambers often, all every day. You know, he Henry VIII loved music. Um, he did sort of use these musicians as his backing band. You know, he would sort of sing. He played lots, lots of instruments. He sang. He wrote songs. Um, so this, you know, th- these people were very close to his heart actually. Um, I don't know whether he knew they were Jewish or not, um, but there's also some evidence that they may have ended up in the Tower of London. And some of them did end up in the Tower of London and some of them didn't get out alive. So there, there's a story there that I couldn't, you know, historians have sort of pieced together a certain amount. So I've had a lot of gaps I could fill in to mm. make the play. <laughs> Wonderful. So other characters do include Henry VIII? 
Mm-hmm. We get Henry VIII, Anne Boleyn, Jane Seymour, Thomas Cromwell, um, quite a few sort of, uh, um, Eustace Chapice, who was the ambassador to the Holy Roman Emperor. Um, so quite a few big players, but also um, I was very very interested um, in the fools at the Tudor court. So there's a fool as well. Wow. Oh. Fool who really existed. And, and yes, presumably you've been able to give personalities to these secret Jews who were the musicians. So that you had, you've imagined them as well. Yes, I've wondered whether they might meet Don Marco Raphael and how those conversations might play out. And specifically what you said about, um, you know, they've chosen to be in England. Um, they had other places they could have been. And whether, you know, maybe pretending to be Christians was sort of easier than being in Spain where there was the Inquisition or Italy where there was the ghetto. You know, they, they must have they must have had to ask themselves these questions. Which is the best place to be? What's the best form of persecution we can deal with? You know, because there's nowhere really where they, you know, where things are totally great for them, or you know, things don't it, it stay safe. You know, and and I'm and my characters do debate things like whether they should go to Constantinople, where the Sultan mm. has been taking in Spanish Jews. You know, and what that would be like. And the idea of going to Constantinople must have been extraordinary. It's such a different place and so far away. But we know that Spanish Jews went there because the Sultan said they could come. Mm. So I just that I'm just quite interested in you know the decisions they must have had to make. Yes, and I, and I know you come from Sephardi background as well yourself, and and a family that's moved about. So presumably you felt personally connected to them as well. Yes, I mean, I did, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I didn't come at it from that angle, but it was interesting to think of them potentially, you know, potentially these musicians could have decided to go to Baghdad, like my family mm. almost certainly did. You know, we're not quite sure <laughs> what the sort of chronology was that made them end up there, but presumably um, these musicians could have made that decision and that that would have been an extraordinary journey, you know. <laughs> They might even be your ancestors and the ancestor <laughs> of your, your new little son, Benjamin. So I, we, we should just finish by saying that you are juggling at the moment, I mean, writing a play, going to see a, the play. Um, I know all mothers have to juggle, but that's quite a big juggle. When you, he's very little, <laughs> isn't he? How, how old is he now? He's uh, 13 weeks. Yes, he's uh, still in the so weeks, still counting in yeah. weeks, so he's pretty small. Well, is he? has he been to see the play or is he going to go with you? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> he came into rehearsal, but he uh, he stayed outside with my partner. <laughs> um, he didn't quite come into the room, but um, yes, I will see how how, how quietly he. Mm. <laughs> we'll, we're going to take him with us and see. Um, I wrote the play before having having the baby. Oh, I so. did wonder. Yes, I've I've just been so impressed. I'm still impressed, but uh, yes, I guess that <laughs> I guess that was a safer okay. time to write it. Well, I'm sure that he will have inherited both his parents' amazing writing abilities and. Uh, He'll pro- probably give you a run for your money when he's older as well. So three writers <laughs> in the family, I guess. Well, it sounds wonderful. I hope it has a future life, and I'm not um, playing down the student angle here because maybe they will bring it to somewhere else. So you've got three performances next week um, on the 18th, and uh, four, actually, if you include the matinee, I think, 18th, 19th, and 20th of uh, May at the Queen's Theatre in Hornchurch. But it would be great if it has an afterlife there or wherever. Do you think it will? I mean, are you looking to an afterlife for it? always I mean it's always you always want to see things again and you know full performances is lovely um but it's very short and so you know yes obviously I hope so but um I'm very much looking forward to 
seeing it on stage. It's a massive stage at the Queen's Theatre mm. Hall Church. I didn't know when I started writing the play how big it was because I'd never been there. Then I went to see it, and <laughs> I was a little, a little daunted by the size of it. But it's quite a lovely sort of red and gold theatre, quite sort of beautiful and intimate at the same time. So I, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing it there.